Hello and welcome to the Hot Rod Bible Study, where tonight we are in Matthew 27. Uh, this is this is the really important part of the chair, the book of Matthew. This is where we'll be discussing uh, what Jesus did for us on the cross. So, with that, without any further ado, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Dad, thank you for your love for us and the the word that you gave us. Help us to open our hearts and minds to your word. Help us to uh, just really ponder tonight what your son, Jesus Christ, did for us, paid the price for our sins. Help us in this tonight. And keep me out of the way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we are. Now remember last week, uh, the uh, chief priests and elders had turned Jesus over to Pontius Pilate uh, and had another bogus trial. And so this is the results thereof. It starts in verse 26 where it says, Then he released Barabbas to them. And when they had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots uh, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him then, there, and they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. And for he said, I am the Son of God. 
Even the robbers who were crucified with them reviled him with the same thing. Now from about the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was a darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earthquake and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus saw what happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministered to him, were there looking on from afar. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And that's where we're going to stop. Remember, here we have uh, before uh, the people were asked whether, Pilate asked the people whether they should release to them Barabbas, who was a uh, insurrectionist, a murderer, uh, a thug. Uh, and Pilate kind of thought, well, this guy, this Barabbas guy is really bad. And this Jesus guy, I can't figure anything wrong with him. So they're going to they're gonna let this Jesus go and the blood won't be on my, you know, it won't be my fault. Well, that didn't work. So now we start off in the, in the story where it says he, Pilate, or at least Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, here's some interesting information from Dr. William Edwards. Scourging was a legal preliminary to every Roman execution, and only women and Roman soldiers or senators, except in the case of desertion, were exempt. The goal of scourging was to weaken the victim to the state just short of collapse and death. As the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victim's bath with full force, the iron balls would cause deep contusions and the leather thongs and sheep bones would cut into the skin and subcutaneous tissues. Then as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh, pain and blood loss, generally set the stage for circulatory shock. The extent of the blood loss may well have determined how long the victim would survive the cross. The severe scourging, with its intense pain and appreciable blood loss, most probably left Jesus in a pre-shock stake. Moreover, the hematidrosis had rendered his skin particularly tender. The physical and mental abuse 
meted out by the Jews and the Romans, pardon me, the Romans, and as well as the lack of food, water, and sleep, also contributed to his generally weakened state. Therefore, even before the actual crucifixion, Jesus' physical condition was at least serious and possibly critical. Now, I don't know how many of you seen, have seen the Passion of the Christ movie that Mel Gibbs, Gibbs put out. It's probably close to 20 years ago, I'm thinking about it. Anyway, there were, it showed how Jesus was being flogged. And people said, oh, that is just, the, that it's, it's too cruel. It, it didn't, wasn't that bad. No, I think what they showed in the movie uh, wasn't even as bad as it really was. This gave a good description of that. And of course, after he was scourged or flogged, he uh, discovered, he delivered, pardon me, him to be crucified. Now, there's a Roman orator by the name of Cicero. You may have heard of Cicero, uh, Illinois, whom this, that uh, that's the town Cicero was named after, this orator. And he described crucifixion as being the cruelest and most disgusting penalty. And again, Roman citizens were uh, exempt from being crucified. It was just saved for the worst of the worst. Verse 27 goes on to say, The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium. Now, the praetorium was a governor's uh, uh, residence. It was originally a palace that was built for Herod the Great. Okay, So it, they took him to the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. Now, the Garrison of Roman soldiers is up to 600 soldiers. Probably not that many gathered around, you know, probably less than that. Doesn't say, but they were also used as the, the bodyguards for, uh, for Pilate. Okay. So they had this garrison around him and they stripped him. Why'd they do that? Well, to humiliate him. Okay. Stripped him bare in front of everybody and they put on a scarlet robe. Why did they do that? Well, scarlet robes were saved for royalty. And so they were mocking him as the king of the Jews. Remember, these are Roman soldiers who don't think much of Jews. Um, and so they did this in a mocking manner. Um, goes on to say, when they had twisted a crown of thorns, is again, more mockery. And the thorns of this area uh, were really razor sharp. So it says they put it on his head. You can imagine that it stuck in it. was just like putting knives, you know, sticking with knives all over. Okay. And a, and a reed in his right hand. Now, why would they do that? Again, a mocking deal. Uh, most kings would have a scepter, which most generally was, I think, made out of silver, some out of gold, you know, some metal, metal that was heavily jeweled and all real ornamented. And, a reed, as you can imagine, is just something that goes limp. So something that he's supposed to be holding up like a scepter, but a limp reed. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Again, these Roman soldiers thought very little of Jews. Then they spat on him. You know, here Jesus has taken all of this. He's taken all this for us. And they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, 
He took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Now here's something that Barclay says about it, is the criminal was led to the scene of crucifixion by as long a route as possible, so that at as many as possible might see him and take warning from this grim sight. So they prayed at Jesus through town, which was not an uncommon thing for somebody to be, who was being crucified. Now, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene. Now this is northern Africa. Simon by name. And why would he happen to be there? Well, why was everybody there? It was the time of the, of the Passover. Remember, had all the good Jews coming in, into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Okay, so that's why he's here. And they compelled him. <laughs> they didn't say, hey, buddy, come on over here and do this. No, they were Roman soldiers. They used their authority and they used violence, more than likely, to compel Simon to bear his cross. Now, on this, I have seen different commentaries on this, and I think this to be true historically, that the upright portion of the cross was already there at Golgotha. They, they reused that. But the cross beam was what the um, uh, convicted would be the ones who would carry. So they, since Jesus was so weakened from this, as we, we heard from the description of the scourging, uh, that they got Simon of Cyrene to carry this cross piece. Okay, now, and when they had came, come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. Now this is a uh, a anesthetic, you know, it's, it's like, it's like somebody come up and, and, and like when you're under anesthesia, it's that kind of deal. It's, it's a, a numbing sort of thing, this gall and, and sour wine mixed together. And it says here, when he tasted it, he wouldn't drink it. Uh, choosing to experience the full weight of what was going on for him being crucified for our sins. He was fully aware of what was going on. He was not numbed by the gall and sour wine. Then they crucified him. I think right now is a good time to, um, I have a, I read this generally on right around Good Friday, <clears throat> a medical description of crucifixion. And what I, why, why I do this is, because you know you hear people saying, oh, they crucified him in court and they crucified him here. These people have no idea. No idea whatsoever. Oh, they, they put me in front of these, you know, the people in court and they crucified. Baloney. They have no idea. Why they use, why they use this term for that, I think, borders on blasphemy. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be legalistic or anything like that. But when you really, when you, you understand what this is, it, it, it's something. Okay. Here's a physical description of crucifixion. The cross is placed on the ground and the exhausted man, remember he was scourged before, they're exhausted, is quickly thrown backward with his shoulder against, shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels the depression in the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist deep into the wood. Quickly he moves the other side and repeats the, ac repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. 
The left foot is pressed backwards against her right foot. When with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails and the wrists, excruciating fiery pain shoots through the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails and the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. He pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment. He places the full weight of the nail through, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through nerves between the bones of his feet. The arms, as the arms fatigue, cramps seep through his muscles, nodding them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can only be drawn down into the lungs, but not exhaled. He fights to raise himself up in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and the bloodstreams, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he's able to push himself upward and exhale to bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-wrenching cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as the tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the timber. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills the serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making frantic effort to grasp in small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through the tissues. And finally, he can allow the body to die. This ends up saying, all this and the Bible records with simple words and they crucified him. I think that might be the reason why people don't take it so seriously. So they crucified him, divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That comes from Psalm 22, verse 8. Sitting down, these are the soldiers, they kept watch over him there. Now, a lot of the reason for this is to keep anybody from taking him down off the cross. Evidently, uh, through a couple of commentators, there is, a, there is evidence that someone has been taken down from the cross before they died and they survived. So this is one of the reasons why they have the guards there to keep them from doing this. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Uh, John goes into it a little bit more uh, in depth, and let's look at that. John chapter 19, uh, 20 through 22, where it says, Then many of the Jews read this article again. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said 
I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, and this is what I like, I have written what I have written. He put up enough of those guys. Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, if you, no, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. You know what? Even if he did, they wouldn't have believed him. Think about that. They would have accused him, oh, it's just some sort of sorcery. And why do I say that? There are people today who don't believe in the resurrection. And there's people here that didn't believe. No matter, no matter what, there, there are folks, no matter how much evidence is there, over 300 fulfilled Old Testament prophecies in the personhood of Jesus Christ, and people still don't believe. So why did he not come down? Again, they wouldn't have believed him anyway. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and the elders that he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. Yeah, right. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Um, but think about this. Why didn't Jesus come down from the cross? Well, we're going to look at Philippians 2, verse 8. And really, it's out of obedience. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Again, this is what Jesus did for you and for me. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now, again, let's, let's look at Luke Chapter 23, this is, this is 39 through 43. You may be familiar with this. It says, then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him. One of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Think about that. Step back to that Alistair Begg thing, talking about the thief on the cross coming in and, and them saying, How'd you get here? I don't know. The guy in the center cross said I could. It's all because of faith. It's not because of how you work. It's not how you what you believe about baptism or crucifixion. Mean, pardon me, or communion, or how many good works you've done, and and if you attend church and what church you attend. No, it's all by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse forty-five. Now, from the sixth hour, which is noon, until the ninth hour, three o'clock. There was a darkness over the land. You know, and you hear people explain this way, oh, there was an eclipse. 
Well, Passover's held during the full moon. Guess what? It ain't possible for there to be an eclipse during a full moon. It's not possible. And besides, three hours. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. Some who were there, when they heard that, said, this man is calling for Elijah. I guess Eloi could sound like Elijah, especially here's Jesus getting, he's pretty worn out. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. Now, Jesus accepted this, probably because here he is, he is yet to say his last thing. We'll get there. But what, what kind of wine do they use? They use the cheap stuff that the Roman soldiers were sitting there drinking while all this stuff is going on, right? Think about the cheap wine compared to the wine First miracle Jesus performed the wedding in Canaan. What did the, what did the wine stewards say? <laughs> Generally, you'd put out the cheap stuff at the end. You brought out the good stuff. Jesus is with the cheap stuff. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Freely given, not taken from him. Now, we're going to go back to John 19. Sure we are. Back to John 19. I know I have a marker in here. My fingers don't work as well as they used to. John 19, verse 30, where Jesus says, this is, first of all, he says, Let's, I'll back up to 28. This is better. After Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Okay. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. They filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop, a reed, right? And put it to his mouth. So when he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. The Greek word for this is tetelestai, which means paid in full. Jesus didn't say, I paid part of it, you got to make up the rest. No, paid in full for our sins. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil, this thing is 60 foot tall, 30 foot long, okay, and about four inches Thick. I call it a hand breath. So, okay. And it was torn in two from top to the bottom, indicating the only way this could be torn is from God tearing it. Okay. And this veil is a veil that went between the, the regular folks in the temple and the Holy of Holies. Only the chief priest could go behind the veil. You hear this deal? The veil is torn. We now have access to the Holy of Holies through Jesus Christ. Now, and the earthquake, rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Here's a note from Charles Spurgeon. 
These first miracles wrought in connection with the death of Christ were typical of spiritual wonders that will be continued till he comes again. Rocky hearts are rent. Graves of sins are open. Those who have been dead in trespasses and sins and buried in sepulchers of lust and evil are quickened and now come out from among the dead to go into the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Talking about the resurrection. Now, verse 54 says, So when the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus... They saw the earthquake and the things that had happened. They feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. The significant thing about this is these Roman soldiers, these Gentiles, didn't go to Sunday school. Meaning Saturday, not go to Sabbath school is what I'm trying to say. A lot of people out here haven't gone to Sunday school. you know. And here, he, these people who are not any way connected with scripture and knowing about knowing about the coming Messiah, what did they say? Surely this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were looking from afar. And among them were Mary Magdalene. Remember, he had driven seven demons out of her in Luke 8, verse 2. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons that Mark uh, identifies as Salome in uh, Mark 15. Why is this important that this is written down? How many uh, of the disciples, as it mentioned, were there? Uh, I only know of one because Jesus says to John, Concerning Mary, Jesus' mom, you know, here's your mother, mother, here's your son. But that's it. Now, do you think any one of Jesus' followers had any hope at this time? And that's the thing about this to me is truly the most important story in the Bible. The story the account, more than a story, the account of the crucifixion of Jesus and ultimately his resurrection. What Jesus did for us, for our sins, is just, it boggles the mind. And if we, if we take it for granted, we're doing him a disservice. Again, this doesn't finish up in something really great, real happy, or anything like that. That's next week. That's next week. This almost sounds like we're doing a good Friday service next week, doing an Easter service. Well, want to figure it that way? That's what we're doing. Okay, questions, comments, smart aleck remarks. The chance for the dog that's been running around here on everybody's lap and making sure their faces are clean. Is he stowed away somewhere now? Anyway, uh, Again, we want to lift up our friend Terry James uh, in prayer for healing and also for uh, recovering with Dennis' uh, battles. And I think it's appropriate here. Uh, there is a longtime 
and well-known land speed racer who passed away recently by the name of Mike Cook. You may have heard of Stone Woods and Cook. Uh, and we want to pray for the comfort for their family. Let's let's do that. Lord, we pray that you place your uh, healing touch upon our, our friend Terry, that you keep him until the doctors are ready to work on him and, and that the doctors do uh, as you would have them do. Keep with them, Lord. And, and again, I saw Dennis the other night, and he's looking good. Keep that recovery going well. And for all those who mourn the loss of Mike Cook, I pray your peace and your comfort that only you can provide. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, may the peace of God that transcends all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.